Good morning, Celebration. How are we doing? I mean, I was pretty fired up to be here, but then you got the worship team throwing out bangers like our God is an awesome God. Are you kidding me? I was getting chills over there. It brought me back. Oh, it's such a good day. I feel like I'm caged in. So if I start kicking stuff, it's the front row's fault. Okay? Uh, it's just such a good day to be here. Uh, everybody knows it's a monumental weekend. It's been a monumental past couple of weeks and in football. We know that, right? Nod your heads. Yep. Let's get some participation here. Uh, with two teams that have worked very hard, long seasons, a lot of stuff going on. And of course, if you're tracking, we're talking about the Seattle Seahawks and the Washington Huskies making new head coach hires. Obviously, the most important football news of the past couple weeks. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I, let's do a little poll. Who thinks the 49ers are going to win? Good. Woo! Wrong. 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 Okay. Uh, and who thinks the Chiefs are going to win? Okay, all right, and uh, yeah, who uh, is really just there to watch the commercials? Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm kind of hoping both teams lose, if we're being really honest. So in, in order to, you know, have a better kind of aura up here, I think too much Niner stuff, we're just going to hang that there for a minute. That way, uh, I need to make sure that it's in clear view of Pastor Dustin, that way any bad red energy coming over here. Yeah, I deserve that. I deserve that. <laughs> now, I know you can't see my notes. I wish you could. I probably should have printed this out. But in case you're wondering how much I really dislike both of these teams, I have a I'm going to vomit emoji next to the 40 whiners, Niners. Sorry. Oh, it happens every time. And I've got a thumbs down emoji next to the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Chiefs. Oh, it happens again. Jeez. No, but if we're really being honest with ourselves, leading up to today, there's one main storyline that everybody's very concerned about. I, 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 some of you will be tracking with me, but we all want to know if Taylor Swift really was going to make it from Tokyo, her concert last night, and be in time for the Super Bowl today. And rest assured for all you Swifties, <clears throat> Brittany, Steph, out there, thanks to time travel, I mean time change, no, let's call it time travel. It seems as though Taylor has had plenty of time to make it back to Vegas, get a full night's sleep, uh, and get herself ready for the Super Bowl today. Because I know, I know, I know you're not watching that game to watch good football, but you want to count how many times she's on TV. I know that that's the case. Yeah, I know. I'm kidding. I really am so excited to be here with you guys and share kind of what's been on my heart lately. If we haven't had a chance to meet, obviously, Dustin said my name's Cameron. I've been here a few times. I'm here with my beautiful wife of almost 11 years, which is wild to think. Um, we just, this morning, this is not written down, but this morning, uh, we, we're saying hi to Pastor Dustin and Stephanie. We get to see them a few times a year now that they live in Washington. Uh, and I see this girl run up and give my wife a big hug. And I'm like, who in the stranger is hugging my wife right now? And she turns around and it's Aurora. And I'm like, when did Aurora grow up? Because we met her when she was two years old. And so this has just been crazy for us. Uh, we have three kids of our own, Luke, who you've heard about. He's eight. Uh, they're still betrothed. I don't know if they, well, Aurora probably remembers. Luke probably doesn't remember. So we're going to have to get, keep that going up. Uh, Micaiah, she's five. She runs the world. Uh, this morning, I snuck into their room early to try to get their clothes all picked out before they woke up. And I'm not kidding you, the minute my finger touched a fabric on her, uh, in her closet. Her head popped off the pillow, and she said, what am I wearing today, Dad? <laughs> I said, you're not supposed to be awake yet. 
What do you want to wear? She picked it out. She is bedazzled. Uh, so if you see a little girl running around in a shimmery red dress, that's her. Uh, she's rooting for Taylor Swift today, if you're wondering. <laughs> My youngest daughter, Lily, she's two. Uh, she is a lot, as most two-year-olds are. Uh, she, we just loved every minute of raising them, and uh, it's just been a lot of fun seeing them grow up and be able to be friends with uh, Avery and Aurora and just the friendship we've had uh, with the Warfords. I'm, I'm just actually pretty stoked I got an invite to the Super Bowl uh, to watch at his house today instead of having to drive home, um, but I do have a favor I need to ask from, from somebody in this church. You see, should the Niners happen to lose today, just Throwing it out there. It could happen. It's 50-50 chance. Okay, should they happen to lose? I'm going to need somebody, front row, I'm looking at you, uh, to plaster roughly 150 images of the Chiefs hoisting the trophy, along with maybe some red and gold confetti uh, and some other Chiefs memorabilia. I'm going to need you to cover Pastor Dustin's office because I'm still not over the fact that my office was covered in Patriots pictures after 2014. Uh, it took far too long to clean up. Uh, it's, it's time for retribution, and it seems that I've got some takers, so um, it wasn't them. <laughs> you guys good to do that for me? Yeah, it wasn't them, okay? I really do love football. I love sports, really. Uh, the competition, the individual challenges, the feeling of accomplishment. I love the way that... Uh, a basketball sounds when it swishes through the net. I love the way, I told Dustin I was trying to figure out a way to work my golf swing in my sermon. I love the way that the golf ball sounds when you hit it pure, which is never. Um, I love the way, uh, the coordination it takes to turn the perfect double play in baseball. I love all of it. What I don't like is losing. I don't like losing. I don't like feeling like I could have done more. I don't like feeling like I didn't give it my all. I don't like knowing that if there have been a couple different things that have gone uh, another way that I might have won the game, might have been a different outcome. It doesn't feel good, and it leaves me feeling like I'm not enough. This winter, I've had the privilege of being my uh, son, Luke. He's eight, his third grade basketball coach. And uh, let me tell you, we shouldn't talk about the skill level. We really shouldn't, but we're gonna, okay? We're gonna. Third grade basketball is tough, and I'm wildly invested into making sure that these kids get the best experience, that they're learning, that they're growing, that they're having a good time. Um, but wins are hard to come by, okay? It's tough. And just a week ago, we had a game. We were down about 10 points uh, with six minutes to go. And if you know anything about third grade basketball, you know that 10 points is not easy to come by. 10 points might be the total score of a game, okay? That's just kind of how it goes sometimes. But with about six, seven minutes left, we're down 10 points, and it's not looking good for us. We don't score a lot of points. We play pretty good defense. We don't get a lot of shots up. Not a good way to win a game. So we call timeout. I said, hey, boys, we still got this. We're in this. Got to play good defense. We got to try our hardest. We got to make sure we're, we're hustling after the ball, pass the ball, take good shots, all the things that a good coach would say. And all of a sudden, we start ripping off points. We have uh, a couple kids who just, it clicks for them on defense that they don't have to wait for the other team to catch the ball. They can steal it while it's still in the air. And we have one kid, his name is Miles. And five times in a row, he just jumps the pass, catches the ball, dribbles the length of the court, lays it in to all of a sudden we're down three in a matter of minutes. And you're like, yeah, Cameron, that's only seven points. Like I said, third grade basketball, points are tough to come by. 
okay? So we're down by three with about a minute left, and I'm thinking, just keep doing what we're doing. Miles gets the ball. He stops dribbling to the hoop. He starts pulling up from three, and third graders don't shoot threes, okay? They can't get it that far. If we're talking like the ability of how far our team can shoot, that's not it, okay? We're looking at lay-ins here. We need to be next to the hoop. We start shooting threes. They're not going in. I call timeout. I talk to them. I say, boys, just keep doing what we're doing. Play good defense. Steal the ball. Let's go to the hoop. Let's keep scoring, okay? There's about 30 seconds left at this point. We get the ball in. Miles does it again. He steals the ball. He dribbles the length of the court. He lays it in with about 10 seconds left. We're down by one. All we got to do is get one more stop, okay? The other team just decides to let the ball roll. Bounce, 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 out of bounds. 10 seconds go by. The buzzer goes off, and they say, game's over. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You get, I'll get either a five-second call, put some time back on the clock. We got to have a chance here. The referee's like, all right, we'll give you three seconds. It's your ball. And I said, okay, great, time out. Bring my boys in. Thinking, okay, let's look at our track record here. Anytime I've told anybody to do anything in a game so far, it's in one year, out the other. I'm telling you, I am coaching a team of goldfish here, okay? <laughs> it's tough, okay? I say, good job. They're like, don't hear it. I say, do this, don't hear it. But I'm like, for some reason, I'm like, we're going to draw up a play, which uh, our success rate for plays we've ex- successfully run in eight games is uh, 0%. So the chance, it wasn't good. So I said, I'm going to drop the easiest play of all time. Took out my whiteboard, and I used letters for their names so they know exactly where they're supposed to go. I said, Keegan, K, you're throwing it in. Started listening by name. You're here, you're here, you're here. The play was everybody stand, don't move. (laughs) Just stay in one spot. Miles, the kid who has scored literally every point this game, we've scored 17 points. Guess how many Miles had? 17 points, okay? I said, Miles, you're going to start right here. When the referee hands the ball in, run to the hoop. That's it. Pretty simple. I was like, can you do that? He goes, yeah, I got this. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. We're going to win a buzzer beater here, and it's all coaching, okay? (laughs) It's all coaching. So I said, all right, let's do this, boys. They're all fired up. Miles, gets to his spot. Keegan gets to his spot. Here's the problem. Miles didn't get to his spot. I said, go stand here. He stood there. Okay. Hands him the ball. Nobody moves. We just, we're frozen. Goldfish, remember? Whoop, whoop, done. Okay. Our, our inbounder ends up throwing the ball off the defense. They steal it. There's only three seconds. We somehow steal it back. We put a shot up and yeah, we lost. Didn't go great. Went completely wrong. It was tough. And while I was so proud of the boys and how hard they played and how they battled back and how this was really the only time we've really been in a game for a while, I felt like I didn't set them up for success. I felt like I let them down. I felt a little bit inadequate. I felt like I'm not enough. Has anybody ever experienced that feeling before? Like you're not enough? The word inadequate is defined as this. Like I said, not enough or not good enough or not capable. And we probably more often use the terms poor, insufficient, too little. You get the idea. And it's so common in our lives to let these feelings of inadequacy take over and seep in, causing us to miss out on opportunities, not give our best effort. 
and effectively take away from making any real progress. These thoughts and these feelings, they break us down. They make us feel small because it's the difference of who we say we are and the difference of who God says we are. So this morning, I want to look at three examples in Scripture, three people who God called and used uh, for his purpose, three people who felt like they weren't up to the task for one reason or another, and see how we might be able to move away from feeling inadequate just as they felt inadequate, and feeling more like we're God's chosen. Sound good? Cool. First person I want to talk about, Moses. Moses, one of the most famous Bible characters of all time. We know him for a lot of great things, right? Leading people out of exile from where he came from in the basket. Such a, a huge historical figure in the Bible. You know what Moses is really good at? Making excuses. He's one of my most favorite examples of, the, of this idea of being inadequate and, and how we can constantly in our own lives make excuses when we feel like we're not enough for God. Let's just look at the calling of Moses, the calling by God in the burning bush, especially Moses' responses, though. In Exodus 3, God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of, Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses says this, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Excuse number one. Just a few, uh, a few verses later in chapter four, Moses answers God again and says, Behold, Lord, they will not believe me, not listen to my voice. They will say the Lord did not appear for you. That's three excuses in one. Just a couple verses later, Moses responds again. He says, Oh, Lord, I am not eloquent either in uh, the past or since you have spoken to your servant. See, I am slow of speech and tongue more excuses. And even then, a couple verses later, he says, there, God says, therefore and go, I will be your mouth. I will teach you what you shall speak. And Moses says, please, God, literally send anybody else. The king of excuses. And I find two things incredibly interesting about the story of Moses when it comes to these ideas of excuses and doubt. And the first is that this is not an isolated event. It's not just during the call that Moses makes excuses. It's throughout his entire ministry, throughout, uh, if you look through the whole story of Moses, every time, even when he's doing the works that God has asked him to do, he's making excuses for why he can't. And the second thing that I find is even probably more important than that is throughout Moses' excuses, what does God do? He never gives up on him. See, throughout the story of Moses and even after the liberation of God's people, he still doubts what he's capable of. He's still unsure that he's up for the task. But time and time and time and time again, God proves to Moses that he's exactly who and where he's supposed to be doing exactly what God needs him to do. And I got to thinking it. It kind of reminds me of parenting a little bit. What do I mean by that? You see, I've got three kids who I've talked about, each of whom is more than capable of pulling their weight a little bit and helping out around the house, whether that's unloading the dishwasher, cleaning their rooms, taking out the trash, rolling the bins out to the curb, grabbing the mail. My kids are more than capable of doing that, and they know that. And sometimes I ask them to do tasks to help out that I know they can do. Sound familiar, parents? Or how about kids? Sound familiar? You get asked to do things ever? Yeah. And guess what? It might be something that I typically do. In this instance, God could have done everything he was asking Moses to do. But I know as a parent that 
my child is more than capable. They are ready and they are able to do the job to learn something. Simple, right? Should be wrong. Why? It seems like more often than not, when I ask my kid to do something that they've never had to do before, even if it's a simple task, I start hearing the excuses. I'm greeted with a plethora of reasons of why they will be unable to complete that task. To get mail, for instance. Well, I don't have shoes on. What? Well, it's cold outside. Oh, remember that winter jacket you begged for? There's so many, right? It has nothing to do with their capabilities, but the fact that they're not sure that that's the right job for them in that moment. And time and time again, they get to prove to themselves that they're more than able, and I've always been there to help. And it's such a simple, singular example, but I've got to imagine that God feels similarly when he calls us to do certain things. God probably has those moments where he's like, you can do this. You are able, you are ready, you are called, you are chosen. And we're like, but I don't know where my shoes are. You are able, you are called, you are chosen. Yeah, it's a little chilly outside, Lord. My house has a ripping fire I got to tend to. It might be easier for God just to do the things he's calling us to do by himself. Because guess what? He's capable. He can do it. And in those moments as a parent, it might be easier to finish those tasks myself. But in those moments, I'm faced with an opportunity to teach, to show, to encourage, to help. My kids are able to complete those tasks knowing that I was there for them, helping them through those perceived challenges, helping them see whatever doubts they had. And this is why I love the way God responds to Moses. Because instead of brushing him off and just going to ask somebody else to do it, it would have been really easy to do. God has a lot of chosen people he could have picked from. He picked Moses. And instead of just brushing it off and going somewhere else, God teaches, he shows, he encourages, and he helps Moses to get the job done instead of just doing it himself. See, when Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God responds by saying, I will be with you. When Moses said, they will not believe me, they're not going to listen to me, God said, I will give you signs to show them. When Moses said, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow in speech and tongue, I can't, I can't talk, God, God said, I'll be your mouthpiece. And when Moses said, please, I can't do it, send somebody else, God said, you can do it, and I will give you help. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm pretty glad that God's call doesn't change no matter the excuses I might make. No matter if I don't feel like I'm the right fit for it. I'm glad that God's call on my life doesn't change. Example number one, Moses and the excuses he made. The second example is a little bit of a different one. It's, it's the story of Gideon. Okay, And something that Gideon struggles with quite a bit is insecurity. Does anybody else have that? Yeah, me right here every time. Anywhere I go, unsure. Gideon, in my experience, is a much less talked about example than that of Moses. We kind of, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard the name Moses way more times than you've heard the name Gideon. But Gideon's story is one that really speaks to the insecurities of, of being called and being chosen. And if you don't know much about the story of Gideon, he was the fifth judge 
uh, in the time of Judges. Um, judges were people chosen by God to help deliver the Israelites. Um, and he was chosen by God specifically to lead the Israelites over the Midianites, who had at that point taken over Israel and, and were oppressing them. And while they were successful in, in that story in overcoming the Midianites, throughout the story we find that Gideon is unsure of both his worthiness of leading that call and also whether or not God's even truly calling him. Have we ever been there? You see, Gideon doesn't come from a renowned family. He's not from a famous tribe. In fact, it's noted in, in the book of Judges that his clan was the weakest and that he was even the least in his own father's house. And so Gideon was constantly questioning, how could, there's no way you're choosing me. How could you be choosing somebody like me? How could I possibly be the right fit? He's always questioning if God could even call somebody like him. And let's just read some, for a minute some of these instances of Gideon being unsure of himself. In Judges 6, starting in verse 12, it says this. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. The Midianites we're talking about. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And, Midian, and Gideon said back to him, said, please, Lord, how could I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one, uh, as one man. And Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then please at least show me something. Show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. And we fast forward a little bit in that story, and God does. He shows Gideon a sign. He gives Gideon the confidence to do what, is, uh, what, what he's asking him. He ends up, uh, because of God, bringing together many tribes of men to help uh, deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. And through all of this, after, even after Gideon has seen God do all of this for him, after God's performed this miracle, and after God has shown and proven that the call on Gideon's life was not by accident, what does Gideon do? He celebrates, right? Wrong. He immediately goes and he asks God, he said, I'm still not sure that I'm right for this. I'm still not sure that this call you have for me is on purpose. So Gideon said to God in Judges 6, 36, he said, if you really will save Israel by my hand, as you have, as you have said, behold, I'm going to lay a fleece of wool on the floor. And if there is dew on the fleece alone, but it is dry all around the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said you would. And it was so when he rose the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew to fill it with a bowl, a fill a bowl with water. God did it again. He proved it to him. You'd think that'd be enough. Gideon's now seen God deliver him from uh, the oppression in the Midianites twice. God's shown him signs multiple times. You'd think that'd be enough. Gideon was still unsure. Still unsure. Verse 39. Gideon said to God, let, your anger, let not your anger burn against me. Please, just one more time, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and this time do all around the ground. Basically the opposite of what he just asked God to do. You ever done that before? 
ask God to provide something in your life, he does it, and you're not sure that it was really God, so you're like, actually, could you do it a different way? God did so. It was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. What happened? Gideon went on to defeat the Midianites, right? He answered God's call on his life. But the whole time he felt unsure and insecure about how somebody like himself could really be the one God wanted to do all this. Insecurity. A few years back, Brittany and I did a small group with a, a bunch of other married couples. Um, and as the group was coming to a close, we were asked to do this exercise where we were given a list of words, um, and I wasn't sure what the words were for, but we were told that we were going to use those words in a time of prayer um, and be able to speak those words, those titles, over the other people in our group, um, which I, I thought was easy enough, you know, be able to sit there, pray, be in my thoughts, um, and think about the words that I would see fitting for the people in my group. But I was reading through the words, I was getting really nervous. You know, these were words like love, compassion, bold, confident, gatherer. You get the idea. And I had a really hard time with this exercise, not because I had to pick words for other people and pray about words for other people, but I started to realize that people were going to have to pick words about me, and I felt really unsure about that. I was worried that I wouldn't live up to the things that they were going to speak over my life. I was worried that I wouldn't feel worthy to the words that they were going to speak over my life. I was, gonna, I was a little bit worried that there's no way that the words that they were going to share with me could possibly be true because they don't know me. They don't know the struggles I have. They don't know the issues in my life. They don't, they don't know. We've only known each other for six weeks. How could they really pray these words over me? I've always felt in my own life a little bit less than or a little bit unsure of how I actually fit into God's plans and how are they going to be able to speak these things into me. And that knowledge, I feel like it, it really hindered my, my process in that exercise because I don't know if it's whether I don't feel like I could ever live up to a specific calling or, or if maybe I feel a little bit like Gideon, like, oh, I, I, know, I, mean, I know I'm not going to war anytime soon. But I feel like Gideon sometimes in the sense that there was no way that I could live up to what they're going to say for me. Like, I'm, I feel like I will just fail them continually and continually. And I think it's probably a safe bet that some of us in this room have those same thoughts. It's really hard for us when people give us words of encouragement or words of calling or speak words of life over us to receive those because we want to say, you know what? You don't know where I come from. You don't know my family history. You don't know my struggles. You don't know the, the things that I've dealt with. I'm just having a hard time believing that this could be true. You don't know who I am. But here's the reality. Just as God showed Gideon over and over and over again that he's so much more than Gideon's insecurities, he will always show and prove to you and to me and to us as a whole that he is so much greater than our doubts and our insecurities. So much greater. As for that small group, I promise I didn't leave you hanging. We got to my turn where people had to read out and speak words over me. I was nervous. I didn't want to look at people. It was a Zoom. This was right in the middle of COVID, so it was a Zoom small group. And even then, I couldn't even look at the screen. I was so nervous. I'm like, How, well, these people don't know me. But I stayed and I listened. Leader. Next person goes, leader. Leader. 
leader. And over and over and over again, I have this word leader spoken over to me each time feeling more and more and more like I don't deserve it. But in that moment, I could feel God's presence and I sensed him telling me, listen, Cameron, it doesn't matter how much you see it or you don't see it. What matters is that I feel like you're called and it doesn't matter if you feel like you don't deserve it. Cameron, you are a leader. I'll be honest with you, I didn't like that small group night. Wasn't a huge fan. But friends, what I had to do and what I, I encourage you to do is don't let your insecurities define you any longer. Let God define who you are. And when he does, whether that's through his word, through his voice, or through somebody speaking over you, receive it. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. But you don't have to live in the fear of the insecurities that you have. Because God's chosen you to be different. Gideon's the second example. The third and the final example is Peter, Simon Peter. And this idea of really not liking who you are yourself. Peter had a really hard time liking himself. This comes from the Gospels. And it really shows how our faith can really be deterred by that feeling of disliking ourselves. Disliking who we are or even just using that as a reason or a crutch as to why we can't act on God's call. Let's read the story of Jesus calling Simon Peter to follow him. In Luke chapter 5, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out with them, and they were just washing their nets. Getting into the boats, this is Jesus, getting into the boats, which was Simon's, he asked Simon to put out a little from land. He sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he looked at Simon. He said, put out into the deep one more time. Let your nets down for a catch. And what does Simon respond with? Master, we toiled all night. We got nothing. But at your word, I will put down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. They came, they filled the boats, both of them, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying what? Thank you, God, I believe this was great. You're awesome. No. He said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And the greatest miracle Simon's ever seen in his life, the first thing he does is revert to, I'm not good enough. I do not like myself here. I don't deserve this. And I think so often when we think about God's call on our lives, we begin to self-sabotage and fall right back into the headspace of feeling like we don't belong. And here's what I find interesting about Peter is that these feelings don't just seem to vanish after all his time spent with Jesus. You'd think, you know, spending time with the Jesus Christ in person, in the flesh, that you'd have this idea figured out that you are enough. God calls you, you are enough. But in the book of 1 Peter, one of the very first things Peter writes about is one being called to be holy. And in that passage of scripture, he says this, he calls way back to his evil ways of living. He writes things such as, uh, do not be conformed to the passions of your former in, uh, ignorance. And he knows that we are ransomed for the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. He says all flesh is like grass and in all its glory, the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. Like Peter's a downer. One of my favorite books in the Bible to read, by the way. I, that's not related. You should read it, though. 
But this theme of calling things out in our former lives and Peter's lovers, it happens all the time. Even when he's talking about the good stuff, he's like, but don't forget, it's kind of, we kind of were a bummer before. We have a really bad habit in our lives of doing that. The best thing that ever could have happened in our lives could happen. God could be blessing us. God could be speaking into our lives. And we're like, ah, oh, but there's this one thing. We become downers and self-sabotagers. The theme of calling things out of our former life, it happens all throughout First and Second Peter. And obviously that's really important to us as Christians, you know, to leave our old self behind. But I would argue to say that one of the reasons that Peter's so adamant about calling all these things out is because he has this inner turmoil, this inner discussion about how he feels with himself. Peter's story, along with so many other people, so many people in this room and this in the world and the Christian faith in general, about people who have turned their lives over to follow Jesus, it's a stark reminder that the reality is we will still struggle with the thought of unworthiness in our own lives. And if we're being honest, sometimes we struggle with the thought of who God says we actually are. Just a little kind of bonus point. I don't know if, if anybody's ever watched the show The Chosen. Um, shameless plug, fantastic show. Really good. If you're looking for a biblical show that I think does a really good job of accurately portraying a lot of things in Scripture, it's fantastic. But I think they do a really unique job of portraying this idea of self-sabotage and this feeling of unworthiness that Peter has within himself. Constantly struggling with this idea of I'm not good enough, I'm not called enough, I can't make things right. I've been recently reading this book uh, called Uncommon by Tony Dungy. That in itself is a miracle. I'm not a good reader. Um, my wife's like, you need to read more. I'm like, I do need to read more, and then I just don't. Um, it's just not a thing that I'm great at. But I've been trying, I've been grinding through this book called Uncommon. Uh, Tony Dungy, he was a Hall of Fame uh, and Super Bowl winning head coach. What's ironic is I didn't even put two and two together that today's a Super Bowl when I was writing this message. Um, like, and then I'm using a Super Bowl winning head coach. Sorry, Brittany, I know that's not your... My bad. <laughs> She's like, great, another football reference. <laughs> but there's a section that in this book that really speaks to this idea of struggling with believing who God says you are. And I want to read that to you. Tony writes this. He says, I believe that God knew that you would be in the spot you are in now. With the passions and gifts that you have and the platform that only you enjoy. I believe that the imprint you are meant to leave on this world is not accidental or coincidental. Your life has been intentionally designed by God to have a uniquely significant and eternal impact on the world around you. Think about that for a moment. Your life has been intentionally designed by God. A few, line, a few lines later, it continues to say this. Though I do, not, or I, do, I do think there are things that each of us can do to improve ourselves and our lot in life, I believe that first and foremost, I operate from God's grace. That grace is not a license to do whatever I choose, but rather it's an understanding that despite my best efforts, I will fall short in striving for God. And that's okay. Falling short is not the goal, but it's still okay. And when that happens, I get up, I dust myself off, and I press on toward the mark. This is why I like reading books like 1 Peter, though. Similar to Coach Dungy's words where he knows we will fall short, Peter himself is unsure, never feels qualified, and despises himself for the life he's lived. But 
he still understands exactly who God says he is, who we are. One of my favorite passages of all time, it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. Following all these different experiences, Peter saying what we shouldn't be and who we ought not to be. This unworthiness feeling. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, there's downer Peter again, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, downer Peter again, but now you have received mercy. You are chosen. You are royal. You are holy, a people for God's possession. Peter understood through his self-doubts, through his, his self-hatred of himself, he was still called by God. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. It matters who God says you are. And that you are chosen, you are royal, you are holy, you are a people called for God's own possession. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Um, oh, this is, it's actually uh, an expanded worship team. So let's invite the expanded worship team back up. This is kind of fun, huh? Yeah, give them a hand. We get our God is an awesome God to start, and we get the youth worship band to close. Like, I'm fired up. But in closing, I really, I just want to encourage you this morning. These three examples are only three examples of people in the Bible who were called and still struggled with that calling and feeling inadequate. But guess what? Pretty much every person God ever called in the Bible struggled with the idea of feeling inadequate, struggled with the idea of, of feeling like they weren't enough. My wife, Brittany, and I, we just had the opportunity with our church and some friends in a small group uh, to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And one of the things that I intentionally prayed about during those 21 days, I knew I was going to be speaking here uh, this morning. And one of those things I prayed about was, God, give me something for that church. God, give me something to put on the hearts of the people at church. I don't want it to just be another cookie cutter sermon that I've built, but something that you really want to share. And I felt like during those 21 days, God gave me this idea of you're enough. It doesn't matter how you feel, where you've been, what you think you are. God says you are called, you are chosen, you are royal, and you are enough. I had a chance uh, as I was preparing this. I listened to a little bit of last week's sermon by Pastor Chris and the idea about the power of ordinary and when I listened to that sermon, I just started laughing to myself. And I said, wow. I text Pastor Dustin. I said, I don't know how this worked out because I've been thinking about this sermon for over a month. But it seems like God might be wanting to share a message with your church. Because guess what, folks? God can use ordinary people. Here we are. And just because we're ordinary doesn't mean we can't be called. 
And when you feel like you're not enough and when you feel like you can't do it and when you feel like you're not the right person for the job and when you feel like there's so much weighing on you because people don't know your past, people don't know what you've been through, people don't know how hard your life has been, people don't know your inadequacies, what you're worried about, put that aside because God says you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're his. Church, God's got something going for you guys. God's preparing something big. God wants to use the people in this room to make extraordinary things happen. And I truly believe that. We might feel incredibly inadequate, but that does not disqualify you from the God, from the call that God has on your life. I don't know what's in store for you at Celebration Church in 2024, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited for how God's gonna use you how God's gonna remind you that you're chosen, how God's gonna remind you that you're enough, and how God's gonna remind you that you, Celebration Church, are a people set aside for his own possession. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for who you are and the call that you have on your life. And Jesus, I pray that this morning, no matter the struggles that we feel, the inadequacies that we face, the self-doubt or self-hatred that might be stirring within, that we would remember that you are above all that, that you call people just like us each and every day uh, to be more, to be different, to be yours. I pray that the call on our lives would be stronger than the fears that we have. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room as we move through 2024, that we would live for you and that that would move from the walls of this room throughout this community. Lord, we love you. It's in your precious name we said, amen.